You're listening to the Douglas Jacoby Podcast. Here we bring you some of the material found on Douglas's website in podcast form. We hope that as you listen, you are challenged to think about faith. Today, Douglas continues his series, A Tour Through John, now looking at Lesson 29. For more on this episode, follow the link in the show notes to Douglas's website. Now here's today's teaching. Well, welcome back to A Tour Through John, Lesson 29. Today we'll be going through all of chapter 17, which is a prayer. A prayer in three parts. Jesus prays for himself in the first five verses. Then in the next 14 verses, he prays for his disciples. And the final seven verses, he prays for the world, that is, future believers. And the order is crucial. Jesus' training of his disciples would have been a failure if he had not given top priority to his own personal spirituality. And getting the message out to the world is impossible unless the messengers remain holy. Otherwise, they'll contradict the word or they misteach it. Uh, they must continue to live in obedience to the word. And then and only then will the world listen. The goal is not just conversion, but it's unity. It's unity. And so we're going to go through this uh, marvelous chapter. Sometimes it's called the high priestly prayer because Jesus is representing um, his followers to God. And um, after this, the arrest party will be coming. So really, we're running out of time. 17.1. After Jesus had spoken these words, he looked up to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son so that the son may glorify you since you have given him authority over all people, to give eternal life to all whom you've given him. Well, by now, we're very used to seeing this phrase, the hour had come, Um, the hour was coming. Uh, We're getting very close now to the cross and to the end of this process in chapter 19. Throughout the Gospel of John, the hour has been drawing ever nearer. Verse 3, and this is eternal life that they may know you, the one true God and Jesus Christ whom you've sent. I glorified you on earth by finishing the work that you gave me to do. So now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had in your presence before the world existed. Well, Jesus has prayed for himself in this first section. His goal is that God may be glorified. But when does that happen? It happens when we finish the work he's given us to do. Um, This makes me think of uh, uh, chapter 4, verse 34. Jesus' food is to finish God's work. This is in the context of evangelism. That work is to make eternal life, the knowledge of God, accessible to as many people as possible. Note that he now looks forward to rejoining the Father in the eternal glory that he enjoyed before the incarnation. So this is yet another verse indicating not just Jesus' pre-existence, but his divinity. Not just that he existed before he was a baby. Coming to earth was something he was willing to do, but it also shows his Uh, divinity. So in this part one, Jesus prays for himself. It's certainly not wrong to pray for our own needs. If we don't pray for our own health, the physical and spiritual, as my wife is frequently reminding me, if we don't pray for ourselves to be strong and loyal and loving, then we're going to really limit our impact on others. 
Let's go to part two. I have made known your name to those whom you gave me from the world. They were yours, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything you've given me is from you. For the words that you gave to me, I have given to them. And they have received them and know in truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. Let's just pause here. Jesus revealed God's name to his disciples. You could say that was what his ministry was all about, teaching them God's name. He says, I have made your name known to those you gave me uh, from the world. Clearly, this is not just a name. Like, okay, in the Old Testament, he's Yahweh. He didn't spend three years helping them to pronounce Yahweh or teach him the Greek word for God, which is Thaos. Okay, say Thaos. No, the name is more than a word. And in so many ways, God is unnameable anyway. Moses says, who shall I say sent me? You know, tell him I am. Well, I am is not really a name. It's more of an attribute. And if he just is, exists eternally, there's no one who would have given him a name anyway. Uh, He's nameless in that respect. But God wants us to know his name. That means to know his nature. The perfect parallel is in Exodus 34, where uh, Moses has already requested to see God and to hear his name. In uh, 33, in, in chapter 34, God gives, he lets Moses know his name. And you, you go back and you look at his name. His name, it's, it's like 30 words long or something like that. His name is not something you pronounce is not something that keeps you safe like a magic charm. His name is his actual nature. In fact, I'm going to go ahead and read that because I think that will be helpful. The Lord uh, descended in the cloud and stood with him there, that's Moses, and proclaimed the name of the Lord. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed. Ready? The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers and the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. Okay, right there. That's almost 50 words. It's not a name. It's his nature. And teaching people who God really is, because there's so many competing idolatrous notions of God, showing uh, people who Jesus is. Um, is a huge part of evangelism and it's a huge part of, of Christian maturity. And he's going to return to this theme at the end of the prayer as well. But uh, this is a, just a vital thing. You get some denominations are so confused on this. They think his name is a particular word. And if you don't use that word, then your prayer is no good or your baptism's invalid or your worship's unacceptable. Um, they simply do not have a biblical understanding of the name of God. Let's continue in verse 9. I am asking on their behalf, I am not asking on behalf of the world, but on behalf of those whom you gave me because they are yours. All mine are yours and yours are mine and I have been glorified in them. And now I'm no longer in the world, but they are in the world. And I'm coming to you, Holy Father. Protect them in your name that you've given me so that we may be one so that they may be one as we are one. While I was with them, I protected them in your name that you have given me. I guarded them 
and not one of them was lost except the one destined to be lost so that the scripture might be fulfilled. So Jesus protected his followers in God's name. Again, not a lucky charm or a magical prophylactic or a saint's medal, but by sharing in God's holiness, appreciating his nature, being conformed to the image of Christ. Or if you want to go back further, this is the image of God. It's the way humans were created. We bear God's image. You could say we are God's image. And even through the fall of man, even through the introduction of sin into the world in Genesis, still uh, uh, men and women uh, bear the image of God. And we can be protected as we become uh, aware of who we are, really our origin, our destiny, um, the purposes that the Lord has for us. I've got many other thoughts, which are in the notes, but we're going to go on now uh, to verse 13. But now I'm coming to you, and I speak these things in the world so that they may have my joy made complete in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they do not belong to the world just as I do not belong to the world. I'm not asking you to take them out of the world, but I ask you to protect them from the evil one. They do not belong to the world just as I do not belong to the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you have sent me into the world, so I've sent them into the world. And for their sakes, I sanctify myself so that they also may be sanctified in truth. Jesus prays for his followers not to be worldly, to be protected from the evil one, to have joy, to follow his word. I love that 1717, sanctify them in the truth, your word is truth. And if we're really going to be protected by God's name, if we're going to to become the kind of people Jesus prayed for us to become, we need to have the right a right relationship to the word of God. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. You say, well, I don't really need God's word for the truth. I just find the truth in me. No, sorry. You need his word. And his word is not just a place where you read in your own will, where you kind of engage in uh, wish fulfillment, or you just look until you find words that say what you want them to say. Oh, no, no. It's a, it's a place where wrong conceptions are beaten out of us, where truth is burning like a fire. Uh, it's a crucible. It's, there's a lot of uh, pulverizing that goes on and recombining, and, and it's a creative process for sure. But it's a time where we take on God's word into our hearts, sanctify them in the truth. And Jesus, in those years, he not only lived out the word, but he taught them the scripture and he taught them how to teach the scripture because he was modeling that. And then he gave them projects to go out and to teach. So our relationship to the word uh, uh, in our thinking, in our teaching, in our living is vital. And we're not really uh, going to be successful going out to the world into the world if we're not successful in the word. So in this part two of the prayer, Jesus has asked God for um, blessings on his immediate circle, people he's mentoring. We should do the same. Well, who's, who's in our circle of influence? Are we being intentional? Um, 
there, there are a lot of people that I want to help. A lot of people in a lot of cities, kind of all ages. You can't be with everyone at one time. So you've got to make some decisions. Who are we focusing on? Let's move in into the final section. I ask not only on behalf of these, but also on behalf of those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one. As you, Father, are in me, and I am in you, may they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given them, so that they may be one as we are one, I in them, and you in me, that they may be completely one, so that the world may know that you sent me and have loved them even as you've loved me. Father, I desire that those also whom you have given me may be with me where I am to see my glory, which you've given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. These kinds of sentences you can't just read once. You've got to read it a few times. They're, they're not short. Uh, they're content-rich. And they often connect to other themes or even sum up other themes in the rest of the book of John. So you have to go slowly. Jesus prays for the future believers. He has no doubt that his church will be built. His first prayer is for their unity, because that itself is a powerful testimony to the world. And what would it be like today if instead of there being whatever the number is, 30,000 denominations, if, if there were no denominations, how powerful that would be. If Christians differed, we had different views on practice or even doctrine, but we loved each other, we stayed connected, we collaborated, we truly respected each other. What an impact that would have. And just think of how much harm is done every day, how heartbreaking it must be to the Father. His wish, Jesus' wish, is that everyone will know the Father. And you also will notice that love within the Trinity um, that that love is in time eternal. He refers to the love that they had before the foundation of the world. So this is a, a beautiful thing about God. God is, uh, God is love. Even before there were humans, presumably even before there were angels, God is love. There's love within the members of the Trinity. And the last two verses of the chapter, righteous father, the world does not know you, but I know you. And these know that you've sent me. I've made your name known to them, and I will make it known, so that the love with which you have loved me may be in them, and I in them. So we've come all the way back to the name again. It's not Yahweh or Jesus Christ or any other phrase, it's God's true nature and character. And in the same way, Christianity, it's not what we do, what we avoid, a list of things we believe. It's who we are. It's our character. Like the Sermon on the Mount. It's not so much what we're to do, a list of do's and don'ts. No, it's who we are. Because if we become the right kind of people, then we'll make the right kinds of decisions. It's all about character. So in part three of this powerful prayer, Jesus has prayed for the world, for those to be reached by the apostles. And our concern, too, should ripple out in ever larger circles. I like this saying, maybe you've heard it, think globally, act locally. Think globally. We should care what's happening to brothers and sisters around the world. But we can't just have concerns 
that are on the other side of the planet. We actually have to have a life that's not just an online presence, a life that's local. We have family members. We have neighbors. There are people we see at work. So think globally, but act locally. Just a couple other things about this prayer. You notice that it's kind of similar to chapter 15, at least the first half of chapter 15, about producing, learning, and loving. Uh, I'm the vine. You know, you're going to produce. I'm the teacher. You're going to learn. I'm a friend. I love. And you'll see how uh, those themes are taken up again here. Uh, And also the theme of persecution, which is the rest of chapter 15. So 15 and 16 fit together very well. And the prayer is roughly Trinitarian. It's on the relationship with the Father, the effect of friendship with the Son on the apostles, and then the power of the Spirit working through them to build and unify a people of God. So the prayer itself points to the Trinity. Now, the very next verse, which we'll do tomorrow morning, chapter 18, will reveal that after this prayer, Jesus crosses the Kidron Valley, walking east, and enters Gethsemane. Of course, it is here where the arrest party will take Jesus into custody, and it will be a long and horrible night before his execution on the following day. Let's pray. Lord, John 17 speaks to us so powerfully. Thank you that Jesus modeled prayer just as he modeled living. Help us to not be forgetful, to remember to pray for ourselves, not just a a prayer list of friends. And even not just to pray for friends, but to pray for people we've never met, but people who will be met because of testimony. Lord, I pray that today I can embody the great themes of John, understanding Jesus' identity, seeing every sign that points to you, taking a stand, uh, confessing my faith in Christ. I pray that I'll avoid the, the worst of John and the best of John's gospel, those great spirits like the, the blind man or the uh, woman at the well. These will be my mentors today. I pray that all the good and inspiring content of this gospel, I will ponder it. It will transform me and help me to be, as Jesus is, clearly a man of prayer. We thank you for grace, which we could never earn. Help us to labor hard to bring this to others. We pray in your son. Amen. We hope you enjoyed Douglas's teaching on a tour through John. For additional notes and resources, be sure to check out Douglas's website in the show notes. The website has hundreds of articles, podcasts, and videos for you to access for free. You can also become a premium subscriber and gain access to thousands of online resources from Douglas's teaching ministry. Thanks again for listening.